Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Brian, with my co-host, Ben Brandell, and this is another Thursday episode. Today, we're going to be talking about taking kids fishing. You know, we have said in the past and told stories about taking our own kids fishing, but we recently were super privileged. We got asked to take a group of, end up being 31 homeschool kids fishing. Uh, yesterday and it was a great time. I learned a lot, had to battle through some different adversity, but watching kids catch fish and smile and learn in the outdoors. I was so fulfilled last night when we got home and we want to share that with all of you today and hopefully you will leave this podcast inspired to take your kids or maybe your neighbor's kids, get a group together to take some kids fishing. But before we dive into all the details, we need to give thanks. I want to thank all the listeners. Thank you for the time that you spend with us. Thank you for your excitement for what we talk about. Can't thank you enough. And I am thankful for windproof clothing because <laughs> I didn't wear enough insulating layers yesterday. Mm. And because I brought an outer layer that was windproof, I was able to get by, but I'm going to admit I did get cold, but I am thankful for the advancements in clothing. And I guess for the people that bought me my windproof clothing, I'm thankful for that because it is so important and it makes such a big difference when you can put that outer layer on and keep that wind off of you because my goodness, it is hard to enjoy time outdoors when the wind is blowing and it makes it possible when you have good clothes. I think that's what breaks my heart the most is that a lot of people do not know how to dress for the outdoors. And because of that, what actually the word's ignorance, they're ignorant to knowing how, we want to educate in that. But because of that, it keeps them from going outdoors. And that, mm. that actually is sad. You and I knew what to take. We took the clothing with, with us. I wasn't even sure I was going to need to even wear that layer. But boy, how am I glad I took it because, like you said, that wind is what made it cold. The temperature that day wasn't too bad. The sun peaked out once in a while, but the wind is what was cutting through those people. Yeah, it was it was like low 40s when we got there of a morning, but cloudy, and that wind was straight out of the north, and it was. It was cutting straight through. If you had cotton on or even Just even polyester, yeah, anything that it could get through, whew, it was cold. As soon as we jumped out of the truck, I, I put that rain gear slash wind gear on and immediately felt better, but it even started setting through because you can't cover up everything. can't cover up your hands, can't cover up your face and neck completely when you're teaching. At one point, I was in, I have a little nerve damage in my hand. Mm -hmm. From From injuries in the past. From injuries in the past. And my goodness, when I reach a certain point of of cold, between breaking worms and rinsing my hand in the water and that wind blowing through, I was in a lot of pain and just kind of had to push through that. But then came... Bob, as you like to call him, Mm -hmm. finally, towards the very end, that big orange ball started shining some light down on us. And it was just crazy that the temperature only probably raised a degree or two, but that sun and just the the radiant energy, I felt so much better that my hand pain went away and I I was warm. You know, the tip here I'm going to give is that all rain gear is windproof, but not all wind gear is rainproof. Mm. Remember that. Yeah. It's good. That that is true. That is true. But the best stuff is windproof 
and rainproof. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> if it's rainproof, it blocks the wind as well. So yeah. if you're if you're wearing clothing or wrapping yourself in a tarp, <laughs> if it's going to block out the water, it will block out the wind. And I'm going to tell you, it's it's so important to have something that can do not only both, um, but for sure the wind. And why I say that is because most people, when it is raining outside, they don't want to go outside. They're going to go find the car. They're going to find the pavilion. They're going to find the house. But when it gets to when the wind, you can get outside in the wind and still do a lot of things, especially when you have that blocking um, layer. So get it so you can still get out and go enjoy. I will say, though, man, the stuff that is good, it is not stinking cheap. Like if you're going to get a set of pants and, or bibs and the coat that goes with it, you're going to pay for it. I'm talking five, $600 for the set. But it is so worth it, and if you take care of it, it will last a long time. I've had mine for almost 10 years now, and it works. Ju- it's just as effective as the day that I've got it. I did see the other day, of course, Amazon has their own Gore-Tex mm. suit, uh, bibs, and coat wow. out now. Wow. And it's like 250 for the set, so that's, it's like less than half, half the price. price. Yeah. yeah. So somebody may check that out. If they, if you do, I would love to hear how that is. But I saw at uh, Amazon, you know how they throw stuff at you that they know you're going to like. They threw that one at me up in the ad the other day. And I did. I clicked on it and checked it out. And it looks like it's probably pretty good. Well, that's awesome. You know, for those who are like, I'm not spending that money. You don't have to be embarrassed by this, but you can put a trash bag on over you and put it under a, another jacket, put mm. it under a, a sweatshirt, uh, whatever it is. That thin layer of plastic will block the wind. Um, so that is a tip. It just it may feel uncomfortable. It may be kind of noisy. But that is an option if that's all you can afford. I feel like I've seen wrestlers do that. They <laughs> wear like sweats and then they cover themselves You know in what? Trash in the bags. clearance aisle of Walmart, I saw a sweatsuit. You could a literally a sauna sweatsuit, they called it. Yeah. You're supposed you to, to go run on. in it to, <laughs> to shed water away or something. So maybe that sauna sweat. Hey. That might be a good thing to maybe, wear. Maybe. Should have bought it. You are a, a clearance finder you know wherever there's clearance i'm going right (laughs) if it's free it's me if i can find clearance i'm going that route because most of the time i mean we worked in the industry where they sold all kinds of outdoor gear and the markup's 100 percent. it's unbelievable. at least 100 percent. and so anyway that was kind of a tangent an important tangent because you have to you have to dress well to go really enjoy your time outdoors and if you're just waiting for the 75 and and sunny days you're not going to get to spend a whole lot because time outdoors. we actually had kids that were cold. They were cold. Yeah. They had a hard time standing out there in that direct wind. They quit fishing uh, several times to go get warmed up. Mm-hmm. So it is important to dress correctly, well, yes. It stinks because not only is it taking away from their fun, but re- like they're learning. Your, your mind is not there when you're focused on, you can only have one thought at a time. When you're thinking about how cold you are, you aren't learning. And we really want them to enjoy themselves, so they're definitely not enjoying themselves. But... Learning is is the purpose of us being there, and it stinks that uh, weather takes that away and that proper clothing could have changed that. Correct, correct. But anyway, let's get into how how we did it. Where where did we go and what did we take and just kind of the whole process so people can kind of just see what it looks like to be Ben and Brian teaching a program. And that really starts with the day before, at least the day before, especially a program like this that has a lot of equipment, and that is the equipment prep. We went through every rod and reel that we own we're going to take, going and buying uh, lures, and then we have to create the program and talk about the flow of what we're going to teach, who's going to teach what, who's going to take which kids and split, and 
it, there's a lot that goes into that, but really it started with the tackle prep. You know, the tackle prep's so fun for me because I get to play with the equipment. I love equipment. It's always been a reason why I love the outdoors because I go buy stuff and go try it in the outdoors. It's just, it's fun. Um, but getting that equipment ready was really cool. In getting the equipment ready, what we were really focusing on was what's the line look like on this reel? So we made for sure that we got our line set. Then after the line set, you want to ensure that the mechanical parts of the reel, of the rod, they're all functioning and working correctly. And we'll be honest, at the end of the day, we're taking out $100, $200, $300 rod and reel combos. Well, if we're being honest, there were a couple of those in, in our mix. There were a couple. Yep. Um, just out of the necessity of to increase the numbers. numbers cause it was yep. a large group. But, yep. I mean, these are $30, $40 dollar combos and so they don't they aren't built with awesome parts and they do break and we're using them for people who are new to fishing so and in a big group it's hard to control how it's all being treated if if it was just a couple kids and we could control how it's all being treated it would be a little different they are quality enough that they can go out and learn and 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 catch fish and we can teach with them but we need to check these because they do break fairly easy. Right. And we want it to function well enough that we're not spending the majority of our time with the kids fixing the the chaos that could arise. I mean, we don't want it to take away from their experience. Yeah, either. we want them to be able to use the equipment and and hopefully catch fish, right? So, you know, as we we're checking the the line, we we're checking the mechanics of it. And then also just really that that it was functioning properly. And what I mean by that is um, the drag, you know, that once they fill a bite, they jerk, they get a fish on, that the equipment does what it's designed to do, and it doesn't snap the line or hopefully keep them from catching a fish. And so, you know, the process of that, that took several hours for us to do because right. line is expensive, and you don't want to put new line on every time you have a program. So a tip for you all out there that are either – wanting to go fish soon and your fishing rods and reels have been in the corner of your garage and you haven't used them all year and now it's spring and I'm going to go, tie your line to, we did the trash can. You right. know, we have the big trash can outside. We tied our line to it. We hooked our lure to it and we stretched our fishing line. And that's the first thing we did. We stretched every fishing line we had. We went out probably, how many feet did we walk out? I mean, I know they're all different in length of right. how much it can hold. But across my yard we went the across neighbor's the, yard. <laughs> yeah, we were in the neighbor's <laughs> yard stretching that line. And so once you get out to your, you know, several hundred feet, um, 100 feet to 200 feet, then really kind of pull that line, stretch that line, and that's going to release some of the memory that's been stored in that yeah. for sitting in the corner. Especially if you like most people that don't fish a lot or beginners or you're just getting – an affordable type line, you're going to have monofilament line on there, and it has a lot of memory. Like, it really picks up the shape, I guess is what I'm trying to explain by memory, is it picks up the shape that it's held in. So if it's held in a coiled shape on the spool, the reel for a year or two years, or just even all winter in the garage, when it comes off of there, it wants to go back to that shape, and Mm -hmm. you will have so many problems. It's going to wrap around your eyes. It's going to tie knots in itself. It's hard to use, but if you stretch it out, then you're going to be able to get several years out of that monofilament. And that's why a lot of people use braided line on their spinning rods to minimize that. But you have cons to that as well. We had some braid on some of our setups. We made for sure that they were good to go. 
But a couple things, one is, is that you can pull so tight on your braid that it actually embeds in the braid itself and you can't cast it. Um, also, you can get some crazy rat nests that you're never gonna get out with braid. Mm. So you have pros and cons to from monofilament and fluorocarbon to braid. At the end of the day though, make for sure that it's set up and nice and neat as best as you can before you go out and let people use it. Yeah, even if you're just going out on your own, check your gear before you go. Make sure it's in working order. Make sure your reels don't need any oil or anything like that. We stretched all the line, put new line on anything that needed it. Then we picked out and tried to put a different, a vast array, I guess, of lures right. on all these so we could figure out what was working when we got there. So a fresh lure, fresh hook, uh, whether it's soft plastic or not, on every single rod. Um, and then we actually went and cast each rod a couple of times and tested it. Make sure the rod was good, made sure the drag was good, made sure the real handles were good. A lot of times those will get loose. We just wanted to make sure that when we got there, what we handed to these kids, it was ready to go and we knew that it was ready to go. Yeah, we mainly use spinning rod and real combos. However, there are a few that were had some uh, what we'll call, call the push button closed-faced reels. We had a few of those. Um, and those are the ones that you really want to make sure you can cast before you go out because you may put fresh line on and think that you're good to go, but you make that cast and all of a sudden it stops short 20 feet. Like right. you're wanting to cast 20 feet and it stops at five feet. Right. <laughs> it's like this thing's got a problem. You know, you want to be able to cull that out if you can't fix it before you go. And then once we have all our gear set, it's really just, you know, Ben, you and I are going to sit down and discuss we call it the flow, what it's going to look like, but it's really our curriculum. Yes, what what yeah. are we going to cover? What subjects are we going to cover in the time allotted? Um, who's going to teach what part? Um, and luckily for us, we've been doing this long enough now. We could probably get away with it without doing that. Um, and But we still take time to at least go through what it's going to look like so that when we get there, we don't have to think. We can just rattle it off and, and get these kids taught up and, and fishing mm -hmm. so that they can have a good time. Yeah, and so now the location's set and picked. We have the equipment ready to go. It's really time for the program. You know, we've we've thought about the flow. What are we going to say? How are we going to say it? And what are we going to do? And, and how long we have. You mm -hmm. know, time. How much time do you have? That's a huge part of any program for anything you're doing, especially with your family. So um, let's say you're wanting to take your family out. Well, how much time do you have? Are you going to be driving the majority of the time? Or is that fishing spot right there in your backyard, right? So we we knew we had a couple hours, and that's what we were going to build this around. And so we started thinking, this is teaching. We want to teach around it. We're not just putting a rod and reel in a kid's hand and say, go, right. go learn. That is an aspect of it. They are going to have to, at some point, put it in their hands and go try it and do it. But there's a lot that we want to teach, help and bring confidence to before they go do that. Yeah, we kind of follow the in theory, then practice model. Mm -hmm. We're going to teach all the ins and outs, the theories of whatever the skill is, and then we're going to take them and let them go apply what they've just been taught and put it in to practice. And the combination of that is really where we think learning really occurs. They're not just practicing they're not just getting told. They get to do both aspects of that, and I it needs to happen, I think, in that order because it is possible you could hand them, you could let them go fish, and then they come back, and then you teach them, and that probably would not be as effective. So teach them, let them have the head knowledge, and then let them take that to go apply it. And when they start thinking and moving and doing, experiencing, then things are really reinforced. It's going to stick with them. They can decide if they like this. They can decide if they're not... Um, 
but it's it's in them now. They know how to fish. They can go do it again on their own if they want to because they learned the theory, then they practiced it. Yeah, and we actually try to then bring the theory in at the very end again. So when we ask questions at the very end of what did they learn, when they share that, that's kind of that period at the end of the sentence like, yep, got to see that. You said it, we did it, and it worked. Or right. it didn't work, right? And they got that that stamp in it. That what, so what, now what is technically what's happening and taking place there. But right. And we call that our debrief. And, and so basically what you're saying is we don't, all right, time's up, you're done fishing. Good to see you. Have a good day. We don't do that. We always leave just a little bit of time. Most of the time we actually go over yeah, our time yeah, to, we do. because we think this part is so important. But we, we bring the whole group back together again. Um, some Usually there's some stories to be shared real quick, but they usually have to get on to their next thing. So we want to give everybody a chance to share. Usually it's something that they learned mm-hmm. that they didn't know before they came to us that day. Yeah, and those are so fun to hear. I mean, they come up with – they they you find out things they learned that you didn't even – process or even think that they would have learned that day so really really cool um but once we once we arrive there the first thing that we really have to to jump into and and work on for anywhere anytime any place you're with any human beings is the expectations yeah i can't share that enough you as a parent you as a listener you as a teacher anyone listening that that will ever be in charge of a group of people not so, even a group, even just one other person. I mean, if you're yeah, ever in charge yeah. of anybody other than just yourself, right, this right. is important. It is. And, and, you know, if it's you and a buddy doing something together, you guys, you have to uh, really kind of have more of what's called accountability where you're right. holding each other accountable. If I set expectations for Brian every day, it'd <laughs> 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 be fun. But, you know, there's no longer that, that buddy anymore partnership. It's kind of gets out of hand. But that you know, multiple people that, that you're planning on going through and you're being in charge of, you must set expectations for. And that's what we had to do because when you have 31 kids around a water source, that's deeper than all of them. Plus there's a lot that has to take place. You have a, a, a fishing pole in every hand of every child. With a hook on the end of it. With a hook on the end of it. There's a lot that goes. There's a lot that has to take place before they can go out and cast that first, make that first cast. And so expectations are key. And so what what expectations did we set? What what did we do, Brian? Well, we always start with the same thing for every group, whether it's a, a group of senior citizens or a group of kindergartners. We always start with what we call our code of honor. And basically we teach them what respect is because so many people use the word, but we actually truly teach what it means um, and ask them to hold us accountable to that and let them know we are going to be holding you to this today. Um, Then we teach them, give them the expectation of of safety. And really that is, we just ask them, we're going to give you a direction. Please follow that the first time because if you miss it the first time and something bad happens, then the second time is is too late. So just do what we ask the the first time, and everybody's going to be safe today because we are here. We care about you. We don't want anything to, bad to happen to you, so we are going to give you directions that, that keep you safe. And lastly, we ask them to have fun um, and really just just to be present in what we're doing and, and not thinking about uh, what happened last night at home or uh, their video game that they wish they were playing instead of being where they're at. Just be present in, in what we're doing. They are here today. God brought them there. They brought us there. Let's let's focus on what we got going here. You know, and after we set those expectations, and sometimes that kind of gets heavy for a group because maybe they're not used to having to to stop talking for a minute and listen 
to what you're saying. And so when we talk about the respect aspect and how we're going to hold them to that, matter of fact, as soon as I'm done teaching what respect is, I almost have to, in that moment, hold somebody accountable to what I say I'm going to hold them accountable to because they're being disrespectful to me. They're, they're talking to their buddy as I'm trying to give um, clear plans or directions yeah. to the group. And right there in that moment, I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to say, someone in this group is not listening to me right now and I have the floor. They are disrespecting me and I'm going to wait till they're done. And it usually calls them out without calling them out. Yeah. I, think, so, I think when it gets most powerful, though, is when you do give one of the students the floor it's one of their classmates right. and they're being disrespected because another student is talking right. and you stop and you are giving so much power to this their classmate saying, whoa, right. the, your classmate has the floor right now. I'm going to wait until everybody is paying attention to this child. And as soon as everybody's paying attention to this, per, this, this kid, we're going to move on. And then it's like, holy cow, he's not only going to make me respect him, but he's going to make me respect my friends, my, my classmates. And I'm going to get that in return. Right. That's where you build the trust because yeah. they're like, oh, I will get that too. Mm -hmm. And you as a facilitator, parent, teacher, you better ensure that you're doing that because the moment that you don't, now you've lost trust with everyone in the group. You've broken trust with everyone, even yourself. Like, right. And you can't fail there. You have to stay on top of all that because that is what sets everything else up for the rest of the day. Absolutely. And... The second part that we want to make sure that they get is the plan. We tell them, all right, you are right here right now. From right now to when we leave, this is what's going to happen. And it just kind of takes away the, the uneasiness, all that wonder, the imagination that's keeping them from not being present. It takes all that away because they know, all right, after we talk right here, we're going to go get our fishing rods. And then after we get our fishing rods, we're going to go down to the lake and fish. And mm -hmm. then after we fish, we're done. They're leaving and we're going to go to lunch. They know the whole plan, the whole time. They don't have any questions. It allows them to focus, allows them to relax and learn. It does. Think about as an adult, after you eat lunch, what do you need? A you nap? Need to go, do you, a nap? <laughs> do you need to go to the bathroom immediately? What is it that you in your head know that you need throughout the day? And what happens is, is if you jump in with a group of people and you don't know what they're doing, it makes you uneasy. It makes you nervous because you're like, well, I know that after I eat, I need to go right. to the bathroom. Am I going to have the opportunity to do Am that? Am I going to have the opportunity to do that? Or should I not eat because I'm not going to get to do that? Should I not even go? Because and, and what happens to all humans is we think we know what we need. So what's awesome is when we hear the plan of other people, we can then think, oh, okay, I can go and do this then, or I can take care of that there, or I can take my lunch with me, or I can take my backpack with me, or I need to leave my coat on the table because we're only going to be five feet away. It doesn't matter what weird or thing it is that humans need. When you give them the plan, it lets the walls come down just a little bit because they know now what they need to know to fulfill their own personal needs while you go do right. whatever it is. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, but it, it, I think you'll have more fun. You'll learn more. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to enjoy and get more out of what you're doing because you know the plan. The students know the plan. It's great for when people hire us, the teachers over this class, they know what's going on, mm -hmm. which we try to communicate to that to most of them before we get there. Um, this particular group, we've worked with so much in the past. Right, right. They, they pretty well know how it is going to go down when we show up. Um, 
but yeah, we, we set the expectations and, and then we teach, we show the gear, we show them, we talked about the fish that they're going to catch. Right. We sh- actually show them visually the, the pictures. Here's the fish that are in here. Here's, here's what you're going to expect to be catching. Um, if you get anything different, let us know and, and we'll talk about it as a group together. But then the gear, I mean, to just hand people gear, whether it's a, a mechanical pencil that somebody's never used before or all the way up to uh, a fishing pole or a rifle or, or things that can be a little more complicated, actually showing people what all the pieces are on there, the proper name for everything. Names are so powerful. Yeah, they are. So powerful. Yeah. Uh, teaching the proper names of all the gear and what each purpose it serves is really important and then how to use it. So we go through all of that before we ever hand it to them. But then eventually there does come a time you got to put it in their hands and you got to let them take that theory and put it into practice. You know, you just talked about the names and how important that is. It's also powerful when you know the name of whatever you're using, like you're talking about. For instance, communication is so important for children to learn how to communicate, for adults to communicate effectively. You know, Brian, you're really good at remembering not only names of the people in our groups, but like famous people's names. And so like when Brian's watching uh, the Major League Fishing or, um, you know, maybe it's Bassmasters and and watching the, the classic, he knows the names of most of those men that are fishing. But he also knows the names of the products, like the boats and, and all of those things. And why that's so important is because he can effectively communicate to that group of people. And it's powerful because if you get up and just talk about, well, there's this one boat with this one motor with this one fishing pole, what does that even mean? Who is it? Where is it from? So even for the children today that are out fishing with us, we were teaching them a spinning rod versus a, a casting rod because it is important in communication, especially within that world. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's impactful. It's important. Right. We, we should know that information. Well, well, say they loved it and they wanted to go home and say, mom, dad, I thank you for signing me up for this fishing class. I loved it. Can you please get me a fishing pole? Oh, and by the way, I want this kind. And it looked like this. You know, it had the, this thing pointed down, and then this thing was on the other side. This thing turned. And this, <laughs> thing, this thing turned, and yeah. what would that even mean to anybody? But if they can go home and they can say to their parent, hey, I want an open face spinning reel with yeah. a handle on the left side, uh, and I want a, a nice spinning rod to go with it, and the guides need to be the big guides that point down. Well, now, even if the parent has no idea what that means, they can take that communication and go to a sporting goods store, share that exact thing that their child just said, and the person that works there is going to get them what that child is asking for. The child could ask the parent. The parent could type it in Google. <laughs> it could pull up pictures, and the parent say, is this what you're talking about? And they'd be like, yep, yeah. that's what I need, and they could order on Amazon. <laughs> really, that too. Yeah, even easier. I made but, it hard. But I'm even talking about the communication level of just with the people around you. Um, you know, I've found that when Brian and I, when we step into a group, when we start talking about outdoor stuff and we geek out on outdoor product, Ugh. it sometimes makes people feel uncomfortable because they're disconnected from what we're talking about. Mm. They're disconnected. And we don't want people to feel that way. And we don't want to disconnect with with even parents and children. You know right. what I mean? So uh, learning the lingo, understanding what the product is, the name of it, it does help in effective communication, and it helps with teams, it helps with parents, it helps with families. It is tough. Even I'll, I'll be teaching, and I'll say something. I'll use a word or, or a phrase, and I'll be a whole sentence down, and then my it'll click in my mind like, you just said something, and you probably need to go back and define that 
if you're going to keep using that because they may not even know what that word means. But in our world, it's just this this common thing. But whatever your discipline is that you work in or live in, if you are around somebody that's not familiar with it, take time to provide understanding with the words and phrases uh, that you are saying. Because a lot of times people aren't going to stop you and say, uh, you said drop shot. What is drop shot? I mean, exactly. you're no, not right. going to stop you. Right. So define those as you go along so that they're able to... Uh, to keep up with you. Otherwise you lose them. So I'll do that right now for everybody listening that doesn't know what drop shot is. (laughs) The weight's on the bottom, the hook's about a foot off and you put your lure on that hook and it just presents the bait differently than, than other ways that you could do. So yeah, it's a vertical finesse fishing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so communication is important and that's what we want to instill in these kids. Give them the confidence to be able to go out and talk it and and do it. And so after we go over all of the equipment, what names, we get into how to use it. Now we understand by this point that a lot of these kids are starting to check out. And so well, right you, now, I want to point out, you yeah. asked some of them already, yeah. who does not want to do this today? And you had a handful raise your hand, right. their hand. And this, we are being brought in. This is not our group. We are brought in to facilitate this. So we're not going to make anybody do anything except be safe. Correct. I and make sure that happens. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so, you challenged those handful that raised their hands. Would you please, I, I'm challenging you, give it five casts. Yeah. Give it five casts. Yeah. Give it five casts. And you, they looked at me, some of them nodded like, yeah. Some of them like, ah, we'll see. Right. They all ended up doing five casts. They did. Yeah. They all ended at up. At least. Right. I, most of them actually continued to fish the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. But I think that's because we set them up for success. We taught them the safety side, we talked about what the parts are. And and another reason why it's important is because there is a button on a spinning rod, excuse me, on the spinning reel. There is a, a little switch trigger button that if you turn it one way, your reel, the handle of yeah. the reel. Goes in reverse. Can go in reverse and you can get a rat's nest, which is where line jumps on top of line and it creates knots and you can't cast. And so... We wanted them to understand that majority of the time on a spinning reel, you're going to find this button. Here's how you turn it off so that it can't go backwards. That alone is so huge. To, for When you have 30 kids, if they know not to flip this thing backwards, or if it is backwards, how to fix it, you have just minimized 75% of the errors that's going to happen with, with this reel. Right. So... It's so important to teach those things, and we did. But by this time, they're getting antsy. They're ready to start they're casting. Ready to go. We understand that they want to, and so and what they're we cold do, and they're ready to move. Right, they're yeah. cold and ready to move. So we actually move them to now a different location. So now it's time to move. So now we all move, and now we circle back up, and we look at equipment. I gotta say, the move is powerful. It is powerful. It doesn't matter if it's ten feet or if you're moving a half a mile. The move is so powerful. Actually, taking the group and moving it. I don't, I'm not going to pretend like I even know what's powerful about it, but it almost like refocuses like, okay, we're, we're onto something new. Let's all tune right back in. There's two things there. One is it can actually mess up the group because you've lost focus. Mm -hmm. So that can happen. However, if you're doing it in a way, if you're moving from point A where we started to a point B to get ready for point C, now it works well. If they already knew the plan. If they know the plan. Yeah. If you're moving from point A to point B, but point B is the thing, then you're probably going to lose them because they're ready to go do right. the thing. 
Right. And I hope that makes sense without giving crazy explanations. But, you know, now we're in point B here. We're starting to actually be around equipment where everybody sees what the equipment is, the options, what we're all going to be using. Now we're more excited, right? We're getting ready to get this equipment handed out. And so we can't hand it out until they listen. Once they're all present again, focused and ready, we can start handing out equipment, splitting them up into groups. And here's why we had to split them into groups. We have crazy age range. Yeah, from five all the way to 15. Yeah, and you have kids that are going to be able to use different equipment better, and that's what we tried to pair them up with. And experience levels. You had kids that had never seen a fishing pole in real life, and you had kids that, that fish every week there. Right. Mo- majority of the people that raised their hand that didn't want to fish, it's because they'd never done it before. Right. They didn't even know what they were doing. Right. But Fear, that's what yeah. we were there for. Right. Right. And so another then little tip, if you're taking out kids fishing, which hopefully you are, that's what we're talking about today, taking out the youth fishing. If they are really little, we're talking five, six, you might think about what size hook am I using here? How big of a rod and reel am I using here? You know, we used little Zebco 33 push buttons for our littles. Yeah. And we kept a very little tiny hook on the line. Why? Yeah, Why short would, little five foot or less rod. Why would yeah. I want a tiny itty bitty gold hook versus a big one aught um, large hook? Why? You can do a lot less damage with a little tiny wire hook. You can break it, bend it. If it does get stuck in the skin, it's not really any different than getting a, a shot or something. Yeah. Like it it yeah. doesn't do a whole lot of damage. Now, if it were embedded in your eye, then then maybe you could do some damage, but it's not, you're not going to have to bust out the the uh, pliers to get one of these hooks out. You can right. just grab it and pull it out. And that's pretty much why we gave most of these little kiddos a little hook with a little worm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be safe for them to use, and you're probably going to catch a fish on right. a worm, yeah. right? So the older kids I took, I took half of them basically, and... They use the spinning rods with larger hooks with fake bait. Yeah, that's how we split them up. We had all the push-button rods and then all the open face spinning rods, which is kind of that next level up. Once you're able to learn to cast with a push-button, move on to that open face spinning rod. So we asked all the ones that had used them before and were comfortable with it, which was right. only like five of the 30. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't very many. So we set them apart with you. Right. And then... Basically, after that, we went with all the older kids and, and gave them spinning rods. You had already defined the boundaries because this particular private pond that we were at, um, it was really, really full. Yeah. Things were underwater that aren't usually underwater, and that put some of the pond up under the canopy of the trees where you couldn't really fish. So we broke it to where we basically said, we can use this half, which was plenty of space for, mm-hmm. for 30 kids. Mm-hmm. You can use this half. You took these older kids with the spinning rods and the experienced kids further away from, we'll call our home base where all the gear and everything was um, because they they were the older kids and you you didn't really need to be around the rest of the gear. And then I had all the uh, younger kids and and more inexperienced kids, which ended up being like, I think it was like 18 of them. And we actually had borrowed, because we didn't have enough equipment, we'd borrowed some some rods. Um, our state conservation department lets, lets these groups like this. We didn't borrow them. This group actually borrowed the rods. Um, but their push button, Zebco 33s, they were already rigged up with, with bobbers and those little tiny gold hooks that you're talking about. And our plan for them was they're going to get a worm, a real worm, 
So I talked about live bait versus fake bait or artificial bait with them, making sure they understand what's going on here. Then I had to hand them equipment. They were so excited to get it in their hands. They were mm-hmm. like crowding me. So I had to stop and set expectations real quick, made the plan of how the equipment handout was going to go. And basically I told them, you are going to get a rod. You are going to go find your place to fish. And you're just going to stand there and wait till I come to you. When I come to you, I'm going to give you a worm. That worm is your signal that you can now fish. If you ever need help, then just stop and call for my name or one of the other teachers' name, and we'll come help you. Um, and that, what stunk was that took a while. Mm-hmm. So it took some of their time to make sure everybody was getting a functional rod. I let them go find their spot, which gave them some responsibility and a role to take. But then I, I had the worms, and I was actually going around breaking. I didn't want to give them a whole worm. They don't need a whole worm on the small hook, breaking these earthworms down to smaller pieces and putting it on each hook. The problem was I started, and by the time I got to like the fourth kid, (laughs) the first two kids were already saying, I need another worm. Mr. Brian, I need another worm. And I was like, oh my goodness, do I make them wait? Do I go through every kid and come back? But I was right there. So I was just, I really spent the next hour, hour and 15 minutes putting worms on hooks over and over and over and over and over again. Well, and that's that's what we're there for. That's what we're there to do. That's a that's that's why we're there because a lot of the organizations may not know how or don't feel comfortable just doing that over and over again, but that's what we're there for is to help the kids to get their their really lures, all the equipment. Mm-hmm. Even while we're fishing, making sure that the equipment is still functional and working correctly. And if they have hiccups, then we can fix it. You know, yeah. on the older side, I had a lot of breaks. I'm talking, we got snagged a lot. Here's three reasons why. One, we talked about the flooding. Because that pond level was was so up, I think that as they were reeling it on the bottom and bringing that in, working the bait, they were hitting some of the old or what used to be out of the water um, grasses and, and sticks and rocks. Like now they're getting hung up in that when they wouldn't have if the water level was lower. Two, we had cross casting. So, you got to think about this. If you have five people standing on the bank and they're they're casting straight out, then you have this one person that decides to cast straight out, but maybe the wind or they accidentally let it go wrong. Yeah. Now that line is crossing over four to five other people, and and they're <laughs> they're beginners, so it's yeah, gonna happen. Yeah. Plus, it was really windy, and it's hard to cast in the wind, so you're gonna get these crosses. But yeah, it it can make a big mess. I will say, for the most part. Um, the group of kids that I had, they did a really good job of staying out of each other's way. Um, the teachers I had helping me were really focused on making sure that they were spread out. The biggest issue I had, um, we had a hard time. I thought we were going to be catching these big hybrid bluegill sunfish Mm -hmm. over and over and over again, but the water was still so cold that these things were just nipping these worms off the hook. One, they were just nipping these worms off. And so I started trying to put smaller pieces of worm on so they had to come get it. Right. But we had uh, some trees around, mm-hmm. and I would move them from out from under the tree, but then they they really want to cast far. Like, they figured out how to cast. They mastered all of these kids. By the end, were able to cast a fishing pole, which was so cool to see. That's a win in itself. It is. It they is. were all able to cast and get their, their bait out into the lake fishing, but some of them were really trying to bomb this thing. And when they do that, it's like... <laughs> Like Barry Bonds hitting a home run. I mean, this thing was sky high, and they were getting these up in the trees. And so I'd get it down. Some of them, some of them, they broke off. We either had to retie stuff or get them a new rod. And 
some of them I'd get down and I'd bring them over to the worm station, get them a new worm. The next person in line, I'm getting a worm, and this person goes back to the same spot, makes the same cast, back in the same way. <laughs> but yeah. they they don't really have – they haven't done it before. They don't really even have this understanding. Plus, you know, they're four feet tall, so they may not even see all this limb and, and tree up there, and they're really just trying to, to make a, a good cast. So if you are teaching kids, the worst thing you can do is to get frustrated. Yeah. Yeah, they can see mad, it. You can't hide angry. it. Mad, angry, frustrated. Even if it's just your own kids, do not get frustrated with them. If you ever want them to go fishing with you again, if you ever want them to want to, then don't get angry or frustrated because they don't want to be around that. They want it to be fun. You need to teach them. It's all just stuff. If it's broke, if it's messed up, we'll fix it. I'm going to call it no out now. It, this isn't just for fishing. This is any any activity, indoors or outdoors. Um you know, there's a difference between being firm in expectations and really thinking about behavior and actions. At the end of the day, you can't account for every accident that's going to happen. We had kids that cast and the wind took that bobber and put it into the bottom of that tree. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's going to happen. It's okay. Next cast, try not to cast that way or or move them. Get them away from the tree. If You know, if, if it was really a big problem for us, we'd have had the kids move down to a different area. Right. We work through some of that. On my end of the pond, um, have the olders, you know, they have the mobility, dexterity, the physical capability of casting, but they, they were still learning how. How, when do I release that line to make the most effective, farthest cast I can? And they did a very great job. I want to, the very first, the very first kiddo to catch a fish was on my side and it was one of the students that didn't want to fish at all. Mm-hmm. The One of the ones you challenged with five casts. Right. I, the, <laughs> I said, make it at least five. So as this, uh, as this, I'm going to call him a young man, a young man. Yeah. Exactly. As this young man is reeling this fish in, which I'm at a distance from him. I'm trying to make my way with, to him with the net. The smile on his face was like awesome. Cause yeah. There's a smile, but it's also confusion of like, what do I do here, right? Because this is a nice fish too. It is a nice fish. Yeah. Um, I get there, and now the fish is out of the water, been slid up on the bank, you know, with the rod still bent over, the lure still in the mouth, rod still bent over. Like, what's next? And I get there, and I'm like, really good job, good job. And he makes the the very first comment out of his mouth was, he goes, "That was my fifth cast," <laughs> which wasn't clicking. I did right. in the moment when I was just like, let's get this fish off the ground. Let's get a picture. Let's get it back in the water. Let's show everybody and get it back in the water. And so I was doing that. And as I was processing through what he said, what was happening, uh, it brought joy. It brought joy because his connection was that was my fifth cast. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, but it goes back to, we asked them to fish. He was going to cast five yeah. times. That was his plan. And on his fifth cast, he caught that fish. Well, I actually don't even know the answer to this question I'm about to ask you, so I'm really curious. Did did he stop after that, or did he keep going? So I challenged This is another challenge I gave him. <laughs> okay. Okay. It was time to take the fish off the hook, and he didn't want to do it. And I challenged him pretty hard. I mean, I was pushing on him to grab this fish by the lip, wouldn't do it. And I said, well, then fine. I said... Yeah, largemouth bass, so safe to do. Wasn't a toothy Absolutely. Creator, yeah. Well, all fish have teeth. Let it be 
huge or tiny. And this bass had teeth in it. Yeah, it wasn't musky that he pulled Correct. up there. Correct, right. but I challenged him with this with his teeth. I literally said, hey, I want you to touch this lip and feel his teeth. Yeah. That's what I said. I said, they have teeth. He goes, whoa. I said, but touch it, feel it. And he ran his finger over the mouth of that, and I said, you touched it. You did it. Appreciate it. Proud of you. Good job. And I'm the one that I actually took the fish because I wanted all the kids. Even the littles on the other side, I wanted them to see this is the fish we did talk about in picture. It is in this pond, and you have a shot at catching it too if you keep going. Yeah. And that's what we did. I let it go over there next to the little kiddos. They got to see it, someone to touch it. But because I challenged him, he took a break. I challenged him to touch this. He took a break. But I want to give you, like, maybe it was 10 minutes past. I saw him with the rod back in his hand. He's back fishing again. again. It's addictive. It's right. It is. And so that was cool. You know, I didn't challenge him to continue to fish, but I gave him a new challenge of when you catch it, it's time to now start. You're big enough now to start getting that lure out of that fish's mouth, hold it, and let it go. Right. And I think that's why he hesitated to cast again because he knew if I if I get another one, he's going <laughs> to yeah. make me pick it up. But, you know, he I saw him fishing again. He went back at it. And I think that's, that's the trust there. He knows that I'm not going to. I'm not gonna let. I'm not gonna not help him. You right. know, so um, that was powerful. We ended up having several kids catch fish from there. I was moving. Uh, we took some some fish off of other kids' lines. It was tough fishing overall. It was it was cold. We haven't hardly had many warm nights. No, we haven't. In this time of year, those warm nights are so important. I mean, every morning for the last several mornings that I've woke up, there's been frost on the ground. And on top of that, we've had so much rain. Well, depending on when so you're listening rain. to this, right now it's March. It's the end of March. Last night, let's see, we we took these kids out. Yesterday. Yesterday morning. Yesterday morning. Last night, low got into well below freezing. When I got up this morning, my outside temp was 32 degrees. So these areas we're still fishing are getting, hold, are getting hit with cold temps. That is impacting even where the bluegill are at. Right. If they're shallow, you know, as we're helping these young kids cast these these worms, they're on bobbers, and that, that worm's only hanging from the water's top about a foot down. Right. So bluegill might be down four feet, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and we, have, we have fished this pond in the years past mm-hmm. and used some of the same tactics, and a worm and a bobber was... It was like almost every cast in years past, these big old huge hybrid sunfish coming up and, and eating these things. And so I know they're still there. I know they're in there. We were standing there that morning while it was cold, while the wind was blowing out of the north, looking around and seeing, like, I don't see any insects. I don't see any fish moving, breaking water, shallow, no fish jumping. Like, there's not a whole lot going on. We know there's fish in here because they told us there's fish in here and we fished it in the past, but... Other than that, you wouldn't have been able to tell. So I suspected it was going to be tough, but I was so thankful. We only ended up catching largemouth bass, but there were several that were caught, and I was so thankful Mm. that uh, these kids, some of them got to experience the catch, um, and all the other kids got to learn how to use the gear and see that it is possible to catch. And we did explain the difference to them, um, what is fishing and what is catching, because it's not the same. So we, we actually had a student come up and wanted to teach the group the difference between fishing and catching and he did a great job it he did a really good job of of explaining it um i wanted them to understand that when you catch something you have it in your hand Mm -hmm. and i think the the reference we used was baseball i think that's what the student was using. yeah he said yeah fishing uh if you're fishing then you've casted your lure out into the water but catching would be like if you caught a baseball then you have the baseball in your hand and 
that was really cool for a young man to share it that way because I, I had never heard it. He didn't use fishing to fishing. He used something else that he knew. Yeah, catching, like yeah. catching a ball. Yeah. And, and it made sense to them, and that's what we we're there to teach, that just because we have everything to go fish with doesn't mean that you will actually catch a fish today, but it does mean that you are going to get two fish. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. And to be able to catch the fish, the kids caught the fish, um, it built up the morale, especially on that cold day. It gave them confidence to continue to do it because they saw other kids were doing it. It also caused some of my older kids to switch baits. They were aware enough to say, what was it that they were using? Right. What, was, what was Johnny using? Because I now want it too. Yeah. And we were able to make the switch. I, I put on the same baits. Um, by the end of it, almost all the kids were using the same bait, but not all the kids were catching fish. Right. Well, we wrapped up. We caught some bass. By the end, with about 15 minutes left, there were several kids that were like, I'm done, I'm ready to go get warm. But there were several that when you said, all right, we're done, everybody back to the pavilion, we had to go get them and say, all right. (laughs) I gave them, I said, one more cast. After you get that cast in, I'll take your pole, we're done. Once we finally got everybody back for our debrief that we mentioned, what were some of the things that these kids said to you when asked, what did you learn today that you didn't know before coming? You know, a lot of them were talking about the mechanics, the functions of how to use the rod and reel. You know, a lot of them shared buttons. I learned how to push the button, when to let go of the button. Um, Some even talked about they didn't know that that little flip switch on a spinning reel could cause as as many problems as it does, you know, and some of them actually wanted to test that theory. So in practice, they flipped it and they found out that, yep, it does cause (laughs) backlash. And, but they learned it. They, they had to work through that. You know, other people had talked about, um, Maybe it was, uh, they didn't use the word such as patience, but they, they were really talking about like, I think they didn't think they were going to be able to catch or see their friends catch, and they did. There was success to that, and that was cool for me as well. Um, you know, each kid does have to give us an answer of something that they learned, or maybe they already knew before they went and did it that day. And I think I think kids in general think that fishing Maybe because we live in an, in an area, these kids that we have, we live in an area where fishing is, is talked about a lot. I mean, yeah. we have... We have a lot of rural areas. We here. have a lot of yeah. rural areas. We have a Bass Pro Shops. We have the... We we have the, the headquarters. The headquarters. We live where Bass Pro Shops <laughs> yeah. started. And, you know, take a kid fishing. I mean, it, it's heard of a lot. And even when growing up, there were times where in school, I miss school because my grandpa was taking me fishing. <laughs> you know, like, that is still innate here in the Ozarks. Is the statute of limits out on that or is he going to get in trouble? <laughs> yeah. he, he's fine. Yeah. yeah, I'm old enough now. Um, but I think these kids think that that fishing is always this worm and bobber mentality. And so because they got to see a different side of fishing that you can use fake bait and... And the, the artificial, the fake baits were actually better than our live bait that day. Correct. And which that's is not normal. That's the point I'm making here that they were like, oh, we have to make this bait do stuff and then you catch fish. That was something that they were bringing up to me. This the, You have to work the bait. Mm-hmm. That was powerful because a lot of adults think that fishing is you go out, you throw it, you set. Some adults think you take an adult beverage and you're doing that while you're fishing. When you and I, we're going to go out and make that bait do what it's designed right. to do in order to make the fish hit it. These kids were doing that, and 
I think that brought to some of them, it brought them um, confidence and excitement because I personally don't like throwing a bobber and worm. I don't do that. I don't even teach my kids to do that. We go out and we take fake bait and we try, we make that fish bite it, right. you know, and, and these kids did that and they were successful and that was encouraging and exciting for me too. Ben, a few of the kids that had never fished before answered with, I didn't think I would like fishing and mm-hmm. I really like fishing. Like that was what they learned was that they, they are somebody who likes fishing and they didn't know that before that day. And I guess selfishly, because that's what we're there to do and because I love fishing so, so much that one, I was like, I am so happy to hear them say that. I love that we had some of them share that with the group, that these people are are now going to be people that desire to fish in their life and they have enough confidence in themselves now that they can do it, that that maybe they will do it again in the future. And I want to share, and that's why I want people to, this is what I want people to take from this podcast Fishing is more than just fun. It is fun. But there are so many benefits to teaching your children to fish, to taking them out to fish, that it will far outweigh just the fun. You can mask it by saying, hey, you want to go do something fun with me? Just you wanting to do something with your children most of the time is going to get them on board to go do this Mm -hmm. with you. They want to do stuff with you. So take them. Ask them to go out. But I want to share a couple statistics um, that honestly are, are... Jaw-dropping, I'll just leave it at jaw-dropping. I won't throw any other uh, adjectives in there. In the 80s and 90s, the 1980s and 90s, you know, those those years that our birth dates start with, mm-hmm. the 19s. You you were born in the 19s? Yeah, that's what these kids ask us now. Were you born in the 19s? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep, yeah, we sure were. During those decades, the 1980s and 90s, on average, the average American child spent seven-plus hours Outdoors. Seven plus hours. Seven plus hours, so almost a full work day. Correct. Seven plus hours. Compare that to today. Children in America now spend an average of between four and seven minutes of unrestricted play outdoors and seven plus hours in front of a screen. You know, that is, that stack, that's mind-blowing. I think in that study, though, you know, did they add in kids recess time? That's something that I would like to question because I know my son goes out to recess at least twice in public school and they play more than three minutes. So I'm going to challenge that stat. However, my son in school isn't outdoors seven hours of the week, you know, seven hours through a week long. So something has changed. Absolutely. Something has definitely changed and we aren't seeing kids outside as much Period. Right. That's what the stat's telling me, and that is really devastating to me. Right. And this goes back, and we've mentioned before, if you want your kids to spend time outdoors, which so many parents do, then you've got to spend time outdoors. If you hope that they're going to grow up to be a, a young adult or a, a parent that enjoys the outdoors and takes their family outdoors, then they need to go outdoors as a child. And a stat that I'm going to share with you to reinforce that is this. 91% of adults that fish... so pretty much all of them that fish as an adult fished as a child. So if you want your child to grow up doing things like fishing and doing, spending time outdoors, then they need to do it as a child. And they're only going to do that. If you take them, if you make it possible for them, uh, it's up to you. You have to do that. Find a way for them to do that. If you're not comfortable, then you learn first 
and then share what you learned with your kids. Yeah, I mean, take them out. For me, the reason why I, I think it's so important to take kids out fishing is because it is beneficial for their physical and mental health. Mm-hmm. And here's here's some examples. So fishing is a great way to get kids outside and enjoying being outside. You know, Brian and I talk about taking kids outdoors, being outdoors. That alone is a health benefit. Just getting it, the vitamin D from the sun. Correct. It's Our bodies are designed to absorb that and need it for so many body functions. So just getting outdoors and getting the nutrients from, the, from nature that our bodies need is going to help their mind and body. And you as the adult, you're getting the same benefits. Mm-hmm. Also, fishing requires patience and persistence. And that's what these kids, all of them did during that two hours. Every single one. Every single one because all of them went and did it. Yeah. And fishing requires patience and persistence. If you're not persistent, then you're not going to catch. You're only going to be fishing for the time that you have. So mm-hmm. we had kids catching fish. They were persistent, which was very, very cool. Also, it teaches responsibility. That's only if you are instilling responsibility in them. Yeah. And, re- you, and I would put respect kind of paired with that responsibility. You did. Why I'm going to separate the two right now is because responsibility is if you're taking out a cup of worms and you're taking out packaged hooks, you know, it breaks my heart when I take my kids to some of these local fishing areas. When I show up and no one's there, sometimes it's so littered with the trash that they've left behind from what they bought at Walmart. It's disgusting. It right. makes me so mad. But those people weren't respecting you. Or the environment. Or, yeah. I mean, th- so th- many so things. what I'm talking about responsibility it teaches responsibility because you can leave that place that you went to better than you found it. Mm-hmm. You also teach the responsibility of of using the equipment correctly and being responsible and respectful of the wildlife of the fish we catch. You know, we didn't catch these fish and and say, hey, let's let's go beat them with a stick. Right. We. Once they came out of the water, we quickly got them back into. You know, we, we're talking about the responsibility, the respect of that animal. It also provides a sense of accomplishment. And that's what we were talking about earlier. There's that, some confidence that comes with that. Yes. I mean, how confident confidence is is powerful. Right. And that happens through. And they don't uh, have to catch a fish to do that. You could see the confidence. A lot of the kids, when they first started casting, casting. their first several were rough, but they yeah. finally, every single one was finally able to cast, and the confidence that came with that, just this belief that, you know what, I am capable, I can do. Yeah, and I think lastly, the, what I want to share of, of a takeaway of these kids, um, a takeaway for these kids and for you if you're taking any anybody out, is what they're going to say, foster an appreciation for nature. Mm-hmm. Um it, it really it just helps kids develop that appreciation for these places that that they continue to go to. You know, you you gave that stat of ninety percent. Right. You know, I, I somebody took me fishing, or I wouldn't be teaching people how to fish today. Same. Right. But these places that I remember going to as a kid, um, man, I I cherish those places. I love those places, and I want to take care of those places. And I can't wait to, as my kids get older, take them to those places. And that's what I'm saying by that, that appreciation for nature, appreciation for those places that we get to go. Um, I know sometimes I take them for granted, and and I'm thankful that we today have those places for us to still go and, and try and experience. Yeah, those are, I mean, you sh- those are awesome benefits. And I, honestly, there's more. I'd love to share yeah. a couple more. I'm the science guy, so I have to share they are gaining an understanding without even knowing it of ecology. They're going to understand, okay, I see these bugs landing on the water. 
and the fish that I want to catch, that sunfish, I saw it come up and eat that bug. So now I want to put something on my hook that looks like that bug so I can catch it. And it didn't happen this time, but the last time I personally taught at this location, these kids were catching a smaller fish. And as they were reeling in the smaller fish, they realized the bigger fish were trying to eat these smaller fish. They were under, they were seeing the food chain happen before their very eyes. They weren't just being taught theory textbook food chain. They were living in and experiencing the practice of the food chain right in front of them. And then they took the smaller fish and they caught the bigger fish. Mm -hmm. And they had no idea that ecology was what they were learning, but they were. Mm -hmm. And it was such a great way to learn. They're out, they're moving. They may have to hike to where they're at. Obesity is the number one problem and killer in America today. Hospitals are starting to change the way they approach health because obesity is such an issue. Get your kids out and get them moving. If they're outdoors at a pond, they're going to have to move. Yeah. Without And they're not going to think about it because they're experiencing something new. They're having fun. Ben, you mentioned patience. And then you mentioned memories, that they're going to remember this. Mm-hmm. Every parent, I know as a, as a parent, I remember times fishing with my father. I want so bad for my kids to grow up and have fond memories of the time that we spent together. If you want your kids to have fond memories, then take them outdoors where they are learning and having fun and just being with you. Your kids want to be with you. So so be with <laughs> they, them. They may even be laughing at, I don't know, a mistake you made. Yes. Like I'm thinking about some of the going with my uncle and like <laughs> his hat blew off as we were driving and somehow I caught it in midair. And like that's that memory's always stuck with me. And it was just we weren't even fishing. We were just heading to the fishing spot. Right. There's just so many memories that, that can be made both funny and, and serious. And yeah, and and then celebrate with these kids. I, I can remember uh, I was probably eight or nine years old. We had a little, it was before my dad had a bass boat, it was a little Boston whaler, which is like, I mean, it was a, didn't even have a steering wheel. What do you call the? A stick til- steer? Yeah, stick I mean, steer. I, I call it a stick steer. Tiller motor, okay. dry, uh-huh. tiller motor, and where you literally are holding a handle on the motor and right. steering it. Uh, it was basically like a little... Uh, a lifeboat that you would have had on a ship or something. We had it out on the lake. That's the little cheap boat that we had. And I was fishing with my dad and, and I caught a nice bass. Uh, it was maybe three pounds. It, it was no, but my dad was acting like I just caught a beluga whale. <laughs> and we happened to be in front of a, a lake house of his friends. And we had to pull over and walk up the bank and get these people and bring them down so he could show these folks the fish that his son caught. And I remember that 30 years later, it was so, those memories are, are so important. And I want my kids to have those memories with me. Not only that, I'm making memories for myself with my children. They're going to grow up someday and they're going to leave my house. And I want to have these memories, these pictures, these videos of the time that we spent together. Those are just the benefits that we can think of. There are probably more. And I really hope that I really hope it's touching your heart and, and, and you feel this pushing you and encouraging you. If you are a fisherman, to take your kids outside. If you're not, learn to fish. If you want our help with gear, how to do it, if you're local and you want us to help and take you fishing, reach out to us. We will find a way to make that happen. We're so thankful that you've listened to this podcast today. We're so thankful for the people that called us and hired us to come teach these kids to fish. We're so thankful for these children that were receptive and respectful to us. Um, And they all 
they were all successful. Uh, every single one of them were successful. And that doesn't mean catching, but they learned something that day. And we're so thankful for that. We look forward to doing it again. We will be back on Tuesday with a brand new podcast. Please follow along on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Also, hit that automatic download and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen on. Please leave us a review. Uh, we're kind of in a little dry spill of reviews. We haven't had any in a while. So if you are listening and you have not left us one, please leave us one as soon as this podcast is over. That is it for this episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. We'll be back on Tuesday. And as always, between now and that time, we hope that you find time to get outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.